you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Yeah, that's held up very well, hasn't it? From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on KSO. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans' WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire, on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, amongst other fine affiliates. Across this land, five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, here with your Bradcast. You're welcome. Uh, We beat up on, uh, on some journalists on this show, usually corporate journalists, with, uh, with some frequency here, frankly, because, well, they deserve it. Uh, in in many cases, at least. But we also celebrate good journalism, no matter where it comes from in uh, in our continuing, our ongoing fight to protect both the First Amendment and these public airwaves over which so much important journalism happens. So uh, as some, but notably not all, of the folks at the top echelons of journalism actually beclowned themselves over the past weekend by pretending to be outraged by a sharply satirical and accurate comedy routine by comedian Michelle Wolf at the White House Correspondents' Dinner uh, at, at an event literally declared as a celebration of the First Amendment, by the way. There are many journalists who are not invited to galas like that, Raising my hand here. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I know. Uh, hi, Desi Doyne. Hi. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we don't get to go to uh, galas like that uh, where these corporate access journalists hang out and hobnob with the tuxedoed public officials that they're supposed to be skeptically covering. But in the meantime, uh, there are many journalists on uh, the beat who are independently covering news, educating the electorate helping to solve crimes in the bargain and bring accountability to bad guys. They're doing it without the million-dollar contracts and the high-profile name and and face recognition 
that those folks in D.C. Uh, on network and cable television have. One of those journalists is Zach D. Roberts. He will join us shortly on the heels of a guilty verdict for an attacker at what became a race riot, really, by right-wing neo-Nazis in Charlottesville, Virginia, last year in August. You remember the one, the one where Donald Trump, as president of the United States, defended the white nationalists by saying... You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Yeah, they're both on both sides. Who can say? We will speak with Zach shortly about what he saw that day and how his work as a photojournalist that day helped to bring, finally bring at least one of the bad guys to justice in a court of law this week. Um, that's coming up shortly. But speaking of accountability for bad guys or at least trying to get some, Kansas Secretary of State and incredibly uh, still considered to be a Republican frontrunner for governor this November, Chris Kobach, the GOP's star voter fraud fraudster, he continues to make news as Kansas State House Republicans moved last week to keep GOP Secretary of State Chris Kobach from using state money to pay for being found in contempt of court. Kobach is running for governor. He was found on contempt. He was found in contempt of court by a federal judge earlier last month. It was the second time that the same court found Kobach to be in contempt. The uh, legislation that was passed by, again, Kansas State House Republicans. That legislation would prohibit any state money for defense or penalties involving a, a finding of contempt of court by statewide elected officials. That would include the governor and the secretary of state. State Rep. Russ Jennings, Republican uh, and author of the legislation, said you pay your own bills if you get yourself in that kind of trouble. The change passed in the Kansas House last week, 103 to 16 a huge bipartisan win for accountability, 103 to 16 in the Kansas State House. From the, Republicans. From Republicans, yeah. The uh, overall budget bill, however, that includes the provision was still a ways away from making its way to Governor Jeff Collier's desk at the time that the provision was passed. Kobach, as the Kansas City Star notes, earned national name recognition because of his work for Donald Trump. Uh, President Donald Trump, even though uh, we have been trying to warn folks about Chris Kobach for years on the broadcast and at bradblog.com, Trump had disbanded the commission that was led by Kobach, uh, intended to investigate voter fraud after criticism from across the political spectrum, Kansas City Star notes, and I should add, after Kobach lost one uh, lawsuit after another against that commission. Kobach was then scolded in federal court as he defended Kansas's disenfranchising voting law, which requires proof of citizenship documents from newly registered voters. And about two weeks ago, as part of that case, he was found in contempt of court again for the second time. The judge ordered Kobach to pay attorney's fees for the plaintiffs in that case, and he could still face additional fines after the judge, a George W. Bush appointee, by the way, after she makes her final ruling in the overall case. Kobach was on 
State Rep Jennings' mind, apparently, when it came to uh, this provision. He said, I'm sick of reading about our state-level, statewide elected official being in court for contempt. He said, we are not paying the bill for him. But Mariah Day, Kobach's spokesman, was uh, critical of the uh, new provision. She said the proviso is legally flawed because the state office is the defendant in this case, and it was the office that was held in civil contempt, not the individual holding the office. That's what Kobach's spokesman claimed. Uh, And then in a letter to legislative leaders that was obtained by McClatchy, Kobach's senior counsel, Sue Becker, raised uh, similar potential problems with that budget agreement. She said, uh, quote, the proviso is illegal and would require the state to expend significant resources in any futile attempt to defend it, the letter says. So that's an indication that the state state, uh, secretary of state, his office, had intended to go to court to spend more state money Oh, my goodness. To fight against this provision. Mind you, that's after uh, the state is already on the hook for all of Chris Kobach's contempt of court, which uh, was uh, that ruling came down, I think, a week or two ago. And Chris Kobach says he's going to appeal that ruling, by the way. So the state is on the hook for that as well. Wow, those lucky ducky taxpayers in Kansas, you get to foot the bill for it all. Yes, those conservatives. Uh, in uh, in her letter uh, from the uh, senior counsel, uh, Kobach's office contends that he was sued in his official capacity, but not personally. Therefore, uh, they also argue, uh, citing case law, that by defending the state's law, he is personally shielded from liability for civil damages. Now, mind you. Chris Kobach chose to represent his own office in this case. They could have hired real attorneys instead of, well, instead of Chris Kobach, who clearly has no idea what he's doing in a court of law. The uh, letter goes on to threaten that the provision would inevitably lead to further litigation, litigation that the state would lose, the letter says. And I guess in that case, by the way, the state would be uh, paying for both sides of that legislation, right? (laughs) Yep. It's very perverse. State Rep. John Carmichael, Democrat of Wichita, said that while it is generally true that the state is financially liable in lawsuits brought against state officers in their official capacity, a critical distinction is being overlooked in this case. Uh, He said a contempt citation in this circumstance is personal to the contemptor. For example... Secretary Kobach. It wasn't that the state of Kansas, it wasn't what the state of Kansas did that caused the secretary to find himself being held in contempt. It was what Chris Kobach, attorney at law, did. And what he did was deliberately flaunt the orders of the court, Carmichael said. And that's true. If they had hired some outside law firm um, uh, to protect them and that outside law firm did something stupid and terrible and lied to the judge repeatedly, as Chris Kobach did, it would be kind of amazing if the state had to pay for that rather than the attorney, the specific attorney who did it. In his coverage at Daily Coast, Chris Reeves snarkily uh, headlined his article, Kansas Secretary of State Kobach prepares to sue for legal welfare after Republicans deny him due to poor life choices. Oh, ow. 
Reeves writes that uh, Kobach has uh, has prior cited the needs of personal responsibility and the limits of government, saying that the state cannot afford to continue to hand out dollars. Reeves quotes Kobach as saying, it's a big, big burden. But alas, he notes that Kobach was talking about immigrants, not scofflaw secretaries of state. Uh, he said, if we're spending so much money on the on this consequence of illegal immigration, that's a problem, Kobach said last year. I would say if the state is spending this much on the consequence of Chris Kobach poorly, dishonestly defending his terrible laws in state court, I would say uh, that's a problem. And apparently lawmakers in uh, in Kansas agreed, at least last week, Kobach seemingly uh, cares a great deal about government spending when it comes to welfare, but not so much about the will of the court, which he says he intends to keep fighting. Nonetheless, on Tuesday, despite a nearly 100 vote margin supporting that measure last week in the Kansas House, you'll be shocked to learn that Republicans in the state legislature folded According to the Wichita Ego, uh, Ego, Wichita Eagle, Kansas lawmakers abandoned an effort to force Secretary of State Chris Kobach to pay out of his own pocket the cost of being held in contempt of court. The decision to abandon that effort ended a looming showdown between Kobach and the legislature. The legislature's decision to drop the effort means that Kobach will be able to use state money to pay for any fines stemming from being found in contempt. Hey, nice work if you can get it. During negotiations over the state budget, lawmakers on Tuesday removed the prohibition on using state money to pay for contempt fines or defend himself against contempt. State Rep. Troy Waymaster, a Republican who chairs the House's Budget Committee, said the provision was generating, quote, a lot of communication with one particular executive office. You know who I'm talking about. Wow. So they caved. Yes, they did. Uh, he said, Waymaster said, so we just felt it would probably be best to go ahead and remove that item, even though it did pass with more than 100 votes on the House floor. Waymaster said, we made our statement. So that's all. It was just a statement. They just wanted to pretend that they were bringing some kind of accountability. They just wanted to pretend they were upset about Kobach. Well, they got the headlines, so now it'll be interesting to see if the public hears about the follow-up when they caved. The fact that they caved. Yeah. Yep. Um, State Rep. Kathy Wolf Moore, Democrat from Kansas City, said that including the provision in the budget was, quote, fun while it lasted. Most of the House was supportive of the concept, she said. Yeah, clearly. And uh, Representative Russ Jennings, the Republican House member who originally offered the prohibition on the House floor, said he wasn't surprised that it had been stripped out. He said, quote, I would hope that in the event any of our statewide elected officials are found in contempt, that they would do the right thing and bill themselves, Jennings said. Hoping for Chris Kobach yeah, to do the right thing. I know, thing. right? He, he must not know him very well. There is a reason that Donald Trump is so fond of Chris Kobach and that uh, and that Trump's choices, by the way, we, we've recently learned for a, a new national security advisor reportedly came down to a choice between John Bolton and Chris Kobach. 
So, you know, even if Chris Kobach goes away, I suspect he's got a cozy position waiting for him somewhere in the Trump administration. Uh, because, you know, Trump, remember, uh, pardoned Joe Arpaio for contempt of court? Oh, yes. Uh, Trump And Trump likes folks who don't pay their bills <laughs> or, or the folks who don't take legal responsibility for themselves. But, uh, but hey, Kansas, uh, Chris Kobach is still said to be a front runner for governor of your state this November. Are you guys really going to be stupid enough to elect this guy and risk yet another four years of folks asking themselves, what's the matter with Kansas? We shall see. I will be shocked if, uh, if Kobach even wins the nomination in Kansas at this point. I've been shocked before. <laughs> this is true. Stranger right. things have happened. Yep. All right. Speaking of accountability, actual accountability, we finally have a bit, at least for uh, at least one of the neo-Nazis involved in last year's white supremacist neo-Nazi rally that turned violent in Charlottesville last August. And we will be joined by one of the independent photojournalists who helped bring some of that accountability despite law enforcement and despite the president of the United States, who really didn't appear to have cared less at the time. Zach Roberts joins us next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. What the public hears over the public airwaves matters. Without an informed electorate, we've got, well, we've got what we have right now. We do our best on the broadcast five days a week to balance that with accurate reporting on issues that actually matter. We don't always get it right, but we try like hell to do so. And we do it all independently and without the influence of corporate or political funding. But we can't do it without you. Please don't presume others will step up. We need you to help us keep doing what Desi Doyen and myself try to do every day on the broadcast. Please help us continue to do so by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep the broadcast going and telling the truth over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. Don't wait. Please stop by today. Thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So uh, remember after that neo-Nazi rally in Charlottesville, Virginia last August? Yeah, not even a year ago. Seems forever ago. But uh, after that uh, rally where a uh, counter-protester, 32-year-old Heather Heyer, was murdered by one of the white supremacists there, who purposely drove his car into a crowd of counter-protesters and injured some 20 others at the same time. Uh, remember, not long after that, Donald Trump, as president of the United States, during an impromptu press conference in the lobby of Trump Tower, remarkably came to the defense of the neo-Nazis and equated them with the counter-protesters who had gathered to protest the white nationalists, with Trump saying both sides should be held accountable for what happened in Charlottesville. What about the alt-left that came charging at the, as you say, the alt-right? Do they have any semblance of guilt? Wait a minute, I'm not finished. I'm not finished, fake news. I watched those very closely, much more closely than you people watched it. And you have 
you, you had a group on one side that was bad, and you had a group on the other side that was also very violent. And nobody wants to say that, but I'll say it right now. You can call them the left. You've just called them the left. That came violently attacking the other group. So you can say what you want, but that's the way it is. You look at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it, and you don't have any doubt about it either. They were people protesting very quietly the taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. But you had a lot of people in that group that were there to innocently protest, and very legally protest, because, you know, I don't know if you know, they had a permit. The other group didn't have a permit. Very uh, protesting, very quietly, said the president of the United States. Here's some of those quiet protests from those self-avowed white nationalists that day. That sounds very peaceful. You may remember that moment when Heather Heyer was killed as etched in time by an extraordinary photograph showing bodies flying through the air at the very moment that the car struck counter-protesters at that crowded intersection in Charlottesville. The photo was snapped by photojournalist Ryan Kelly of the Daily Progress in Charlottesville, and last month he was awarded a Pulitzer Prize for that stunning and harrowing shot. Ironically, the day he took the photos was also his last day on the job as a staff photographer at The Daily Progress. He wasn't laid off, but anxiety about journalism jobs being cut all across the country, along with what he describes as bad pay, bad hours, high stress and burnout. Boy, do I know the feeling led to him seeking work elsewhere at a brewery in Richmond, Virginia. But there were other photos also taken that same day by still working photojournalists on that infamous day in Charlottesville, which, while they may not have won Pulitzers, they have helped bring another one of the white supremacist perps who received far less uh, attention from the media and from law enforcement for his crimes that day has helped to bring him to justice. On Tuesday, a white Arkansas man charged in the beating of a black man in a parking garage during the violent white nationalist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, was found guilty of malicious wounding. The self-avowed white civil rights activist, 23-year-old Jacob Scott Goodwin, was determined by a jury to be guilty for his role in the beating of uh, 20-year-old DeAndre Harris, In August of last year, during last summer's Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, held in protest of the removal of a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee from a city park. During a jailhouse interview, Goodwin, whose family members are also white nationalists, explained why he traveled from Arkansas to Charlottesville to take part in the rally that day. I'm uh, a member of Arkansas Chivalry Network. I advocate for uh, white civil rights. I went to Charlottesville for protests. Politicians trying to buy on that fad that we're progressive and uh, we want to remove this racist history. And that's fine. And in key with history at all. That's why I went was because I believe in preserving my ancestry. I had always thought about joining the military, make my dad proud. But this is my way. This is my cause. And this is something I will fight for. We just got to make sure that we kindle the flame of our ancestors and and raise above, and we're going to hail victory. 
That's from a documentary by NBC News that was posted to the web. Uh, His victim, Harris, suffered a spinal injury during that beating, along with a broken arm and head lacerations that required eight staples after the parking garage assault. Three others were also eventually arrested. Goodwin, for his part, claimed self-defense. He argued he was the victim. He said he was, quote, terrified of Harris, who struck another white nationalist in the head with a flashlight just before he was attacked. Harris, who was incredibly enough, arrested himself before being acquitted of assault and battery charges in March, then fled into a parking garage where Goodwin claimed he had become very afraid. He said, I thought he was hostile. To be honest, I was terrified. I thought I'd probably perish or be sent to the hospital and be terribly hurt, Goodwin said. However, Assistant Commonwealth's attorney Nina Alice Antony says it was Goodwin not the victim, Harris, who was in fact the instigator and wanted to square off. The jury agreed and recommended a sentence of 10 years for Goodwin with the option of suspending some time along with a $20,000 fine. And thanks to photographs taken at the scene where Goodwin can be seen with his helmet and boots and body shield, taking part in the beating of the young African-American man who was seen writhing on the ground in actual self-defense. The jury here appears to have scoffed at Goodwin's claims. One of those uh, photojournalists instrumental in helping to publicize the assault in hopes of identifying the perpetrators in the first place and then helping to assure that Goodwin's claims of self-defense were easily dismissed during the trial is our old friend Zach D. Roberts. Uh, He is a photojournalist and researcher for over a decade. His beat has been voter suppression and corporate crime. Most recently, he co-produced Greg Palast's documentary The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, which is now available on Amazon. He's contributed to, among others, Desmog Blog, Nation of Change, Truthout. His photos have been published in the New York Daily News, The Observer, The Guardian, The Nation, Al Jazeera America, Gawker, and Newsweek. And his portfolio of work can be found at zdroberts.com. Oh, Zach, welcome to the broadcast, sir. How you doing? (laughs) It's been a long, it's been a long couple years. Uh, Yeah, a couple years. Yeah, (laughs) at least. Uh, And it seems odd here, Zach, to say congratulations uh, after this verdict. Uh, So I'll, I'll just say thank you for the work that you did in helping to bring this guy to justice. Very briefly, uh, Zach, what, what did you see that day in the parking garage as you were snapping pictures when this uh, melee, really a beatdown, uh, broke out there in, uh, in Charlottesville? Well, I had, uh, I'd been following along with uh, DeAndre Harris and uh, kind of his group of friends and a bunch of white supremacists that the guys that would later on, uh, just minutes later, beat uh, DeAndre mm-hmm. uh, Harris uh, nearly to death. Um, along just on the street after the uh, police had cleared the uh, cleared the park so officially by the way uh, officially ending the the rally uh, their permit was pulled um, the rally was over and then the white supremacists took to the streets and then that's basically when all the melee started so when you played that clip before with Donald Trump talking about you know good people on both sides and, and everything like that uh, he's actually shockingly shocked uh, lying. <laughs> what? He also doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> right. Because obviously he was not there. Um, but I followed them, um, and uh, basically up ahead, um, after I'd been taking a couple photos, I saw a scuffle uh, happening. 
um, and Chase basically uh, ran after them, caught up with them in the garage, and that's basically immediately when, just in under a minute, uh, five or six uh, white supremacists uh, took, knocked down DeAndre Harris, knocked him through a uh, parking garage barricade, you know, that pole that goes up and down uh, when you pay your fare. Mm-hmm. He was knocked through that, and then one of the white supremacists picked that up, started beating him with that wooden plank. Um, the man who just uh, got, um, hopefully uh, hopefully the judge will go along with it, sentencing's mm-hmm. not till August, but right. um, Goodwin used his shield to keep him down and then continually kicked him. Um, and then eventually, thank God, one, a couple of his friends came through and you know, kind of pushed him away, and uh, uh, Harris was able to uh, run off and hide in the parking, in the parking garage staircase. Mm-hmm. Um, but not before that, I had turned around to start chasing, you know, chasing the story, and I turned around and was immediately met with a gun in my face Mm. Um, by another white supremacist who was there guarding the parking garage, um, and he had had a gun pulled out and was tracking DeAndre as he ran through, uh, ran away from the other white supremacist who was attacking him. Wow. Um, yeah, and wow. so that's, that guy has still yet to been named and caught, so if you, go to, if you follow me on Twitter at ZD Roberts, uh, we have photos up of him, and, uh, and a lot more photos I'll, I'll have up of... Uh, of all the white supremacists that attacked DeAndre up on Nation of Change, uh, hopefully later today. Um, we're just getting the story up now, nationofchange.org. And, uh, yeah, so we still have a whole bunch of people caught, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, but thank God one at least now. And another, Ramos, uh, who was wearing a Make America Great hat again yeah. <laughs> that day, um, is now currently being tried, and uh, uh, he's uh, now in a Charlottesville courtroom um, you know, and DeAndre Harris will be testifying, and and, uh, and I'm sure they'll be using my photos and Chuck Modi's uh, video as kind of proof of what exactly he did. So how many? So uh, other than uh, Goodwin, there were three or four others uh, who were arre- who have been so far arrested and are now, I there, guess, standing trial. There's four people total uh-huh. uh, that have been arrested for this uh, in particular, um, and uh, there's still at least three more. Um, that actively attacked, uh, actively assaulted DeAndre. And there's at least a, a couple more who either stood by and were part of the group. Uh, one of them is, the, is a, a leader of the League of the South, um, who I actually photographed later on at the, the Tennessee um, white supremacist rallies mm-hmm. that ha- happened later, later that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's free. Those were the ones that were a bust, right? Because more counter-protesters came out and, and sort of outnumbered yeah, them yeah, at the time? Yeah, they, they were a bust, even though, even though the police department allowed... <laughs> it was, uh, I, uh, they, the police department allowed um, the white supremacists to mm-hmm. go to their free speech area with shields and, and you know, different sorts of weapons right. and that sort of thing. But the counter-protesters, even as a journalist, I wasn't even allowed to come in with a backpack. Like that's <laughs> so uh, we had another one of those incidents where the police departments in the areas, for some reason, took the side of the white supremacists. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, at the rally and not the other way around. Yeah, we, we actually a played a, um, uh, a short documentary on, uh, on this show uh, from David Earnhardt down in Tennessee when that, uh, when that happened and, uh, you know, where the counter protesters were singing and, and basically having a great time and uh, leading to the neo-Nazis walking away in, in sadness and disgust that they weren't able to, uh, to bring out the hatred they had been hoping for. So this uh, event in Charlottesville that you documented with your uh, with your photographs in that parking garage um, with the, the four or five at least different young men in, in helmets with sticks and poles beating up on this young black man. Did that take place before or after the murder of Heather Heyer by that white supremacist who uh, slammed his car into uh, counter protesters? It was uh, it was uh, before. Um, and so, like, for me, I thought that that was going to be the worst thing that I, I saw that day. Um, thankfully, I wasn't on the street when, uh, mm-hmm. uh, when the car was run through, um, but, uh, but I was there imme- almost immediately afterwards, and the, 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 what I saw of the people who were, um, who were um, assaulted or mm-hmm. who were you know, nearly murdered, a lot of them, uh, by, uh, by the white supremacists who, by the way, they've continually tried to deny that he's a white supremacist and you know, disconnect from him. Um, but uh, sadly, you know, well, thankfully, there's a lot of records of him being a part of a bunch of different groups uh, and, that were there. And, so. and, and what of this, uh, this claim that uh, DeAndre Harris himself was uh, involved, uh, that he, he struck someone, I guess, with a flashlight, <laughs> uh, he was arrested? Yeah. Were you uh, shocked? Uh, well, is any of that true? And uh, based on uh, what you saw as an eyewitness, um, is there any truth to that? Well, I mean, so first, this is, uh, this is something I've said a dozen or so times. First, you have to accept that the people that were there with weapons, uh, with shields, helmets, pepper spray, handguns that they fired into crowds, um, and you have to accept that they weren't the initial people attacking the members of Charlotte, people from Charlottesville, who DeAndre Harris is a, is a local from Charlottesville. So before you even go into the conversation about whether DeAndre Harris attacked someone, <laughs> you have to accept, <laughs> you know, you have to accept that uh, he wasn't acting in defense, which basically what happened was is that one of the white supremacists got into a, um, a, a basically a fight over a flag and started trying to basically use it as a spear to stab mm. one of uh, DeAndre Harris's friends. Mm. DeAndre Harris took a swing at, um, at the white supremacist actually missed <laughs> he right. missed them um and then and then there but but since deandre became a lightning rod for this group of people the these these people from the mostly from the league of the south mm-hmm. which is a uh neo-confederate nazi style uh group of people um they one of the one of the lawyers no knew a court magistrate judge in virginia and in virginia has very weird was as I got to discover how this even came about, a person can go to a magistrate judge who, by the way, just is like a, a lawyer. It's not like an elected official. It's mm-hmm. not like it's not like a really big thing, and can basically present his case. The magistrate judge then can just immediately put out a, a warrant, and the, basically the police just have to abide by that. So the Charlottesville police ended up having to pick him up, even though, or not pick him up. They they made an arrangement for DeAndre to come in. I think even the even the police in Charlottesville knew that this is you know BS. <laughs> mm. um, and so they they uh, 
kind of went through the process, and uh, I mean, even the lawyer when I his lawyer when I talked to him was even before the trial was very positive about that this was all going to get thrown away. No one no one really believed it um, because they had no proof. <laughs> right. Uh, the one video that I constantly get linked to by white supremacists on my Twitter whenever I write about or talk about DeAndre Harris, it doesn't even show DeAndre Harris um, hitting anyone or attacking anyone. <laughs> It's just, you know, the clip that, uh, you know, their mm-hmm. group of people like to share amongst each other. So there's absolutely no proof whatsoever to it and no evidence, no nothing. <laughs> and, and yet uh, for these other guys, and I'm not sure if uh, Harris was arrested before them. I know he was he was cleared of these charges in uh, in March. Uh, but these other guys, it took some time, as I recall, um, from you and uh, along with the persistence of, of help uh, of folks like uh, journalist Sean King and his yep. mighty Twitter feed uh, to identify these guys uh, that were captured in your photographs of the beating of DeAndre Harris. Uh, did the Charlottesville police and uh, other law enforcement officials act as quickly as you think is uh, was appropriate in trying to track down the other in, into the uh, individuals involved here? Uh, not in any way, shape, and form. Um, I, uh, right after, it, and that started, that wasn't, you know, well, they didn't believe something. They, you know, they, there was confusion at the scene. They didn't know who attacked. No, I immediately, after I witnessed and photographed uh, DeAndre Harris being beaten, I immediately walked out in the street. Which, by the way, where DeAndre Harris was beaten is 40 feet away from the Charlottesville Police Department. Really? And it is across the street from the NBC, the local NBC affiliate. Really? So this is not some, like, happened in some field somewhere yeah. where there weren't witnesses and there weren't police and medical, you know, anyone available. Mm-hmm. No, the police were out in the street. They very likely didn't actually see what happened just because it was a very bright day and it happened in the garage and, you know, how that, if you're outside mm-hmm. and trying to look into a dark space like a garage, it's very difficult to see. I'll give them a pass on that, but I immediately walked out and talked to a Charlottesville, I believe it was a Charlottesville uh, officer, and offered to show my photos of what I had just taken and what had happened. And he literally, and this is not a metaphor, he literally shrugged his shoulders at me. And then I immediately tried to find another one because at that point DeAndre Harris had gone and hidden in the parking uh, mm-hmm. garage staircase and tried to find another one to at least going, this guy, this kid needs medical attention. Like, he was... Yeah. I, don't, I, I couldn't see the, you know, how badly he was beaten. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't find out about it until the next day when I interviewed him. Um, but clearly, he, was, he, he needed medical attention. Mm. And it took at least 10 or 15 minutes uh, before anyone arrived, other than the supposedly the um, Antifa, as everyone likes to call him, the Antifa medic who mm-hmm. arrived and, and offered immediate medical attention to him. The uh- Charlottesville, two... Uh, Charlottesville area um, law enforcement officials testified in the uh, Goodwin um, trial saying that they offered immediate medical attention to him. It actually, that was a complete, they lied under oath. <laughs> they did absolutely nothing. Um, and to the point that they were actually keeping people away who were offering medical attention. Mm. Um, and, and Zach, I can yeah. uh, to to some extent. I mean, I guess I can understand in the uh, the, the chaos of that day. Yeah. I could maybe understand uh, it took a while to get attention. Uh, you know, to get medical attention. Um, to to respond to incidents that were clearly breaking out all over the place. 
But then you have these photos, and there was also a video. I don't have the, the gentleman's name, um, uh, uh, DeMilo, uh, who took video as well at the same time of, the, uh, of this beatdown. Um, that were available and that it the police still seem to take some time and, and the FBI uh, oh. before they even got interested in this. And it was really uh, you had mentioned it was really uh, Sean King and his uh, Twitter feed yeah. trying to identify and figure out who these people were before the law enforcement became interested in at all and that was what several days several weeks it, it, it was at least um i mean it was uh i'm trying to remember the exact dates but i mm -hmm. I, I wrote stories and i actually audio recorded and videotaped my conversations with or my attempted conversations with the police department mm -hmm. the charlottesville police department and the fbi you can go on nationofchange.org mm -hmm. and uh search my name and you'll come up with those stories and a video and audio of it and it was unbelievable, the conversation. The conversation I had with the FBI was 30 minutes long, very disinterested, and all that they wanted was for me to upload the entirety of my day's worth of photos to their site. They had no interest in listening to what I said. They had no, absolutely no interest in having me come down and be interviewed, nothing at all. All things that I completely offered continually, which is not something I usually do with this, but I like when you witness a crime yeah. this this re insane that it was just something that I felt like I needed to do. Um, the FBI, if you go to the, um, I forget what the link was now, but if you go to the link where they made a big announcement saying FBI was looking for information, mm -hmm. so if you went to the website right after they made the announcement, so they only allowed for four image uploads at a, I think it was like 300 megabytes. Right. So there was absolutely no way that I could have even sent images, and there's no way that anyone could have sent more than a, a you know, a two-second image clip, right. <laughs> a video clip to anybody. And then three weeks, I think it was a three weeks or four weeks afterwards, they took down the website altogether. And, and never made an announcement saying there's no redirect, it's just a dead link now. So who identified uh, these people ultimately? Was it law enforcement or was it uh, folks like you and, and Sean King getting was, the word uh, out? Sean King and his, uh, you know, his online detectives he had. Yeah. Um, I mean, he did a lot of this off, off Twitter, um, uh, and, and so it wasn't happening live, which was one, one of the reasons I'm very uncomfortable, especially after the... You know, Reddit tried to do their investigation to the Boston bomber, and you know how that ended. Right. Um, I'm very uncomfortable with those sort of things, but Sean King dealt with it very responsibly. Um, anytime, you know, no one went on witch hunts in the way that, you know, this thing kind of has a tendency to, to happen. And, you know, I think that they also probably, I don't know if they worked in cahoots with, um, uh, but Unicorn Riot um, and um, a lot of the uh, um, anti fascist <laughs> right. ended up finding the names and figuring out photos, using my photos, using other people's photos. I mean, it really was like watching, you compressed it over the period of weeks and months that it happened. It was like watching one of those uh, CSI episodes where people are analyzing angles and everything. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah, and <laughs> it was like, it was heartening in, in after, after witnessing and going through a weekend of abject terror for the for you know the state of america yeah. like like charlottesville was yeah and underscoring uh as we try to point out quite a bit on the show the importance of journalism and frankly independent journalism and dogged yeah. journalism uh from folks like you zach roberts and of course uh, sean king we've had him on this show um and others trying to document what the hell is really going on out there while they're uh, you know, the corporate media seems to have more interest in 
you know, whatever Donald Trump has to say, no matter how ridiculous it, and not based on actual facts yeah. it may be. So, I, I, yeah, I, I've been saying all day it's it's notable that uh, the New York Times has yet to actually cover this story. Really? Yes. They, every story, if you search wow. it, and I could miss something. Yeah. <laughs> they certainly have never tried to contact me, but um, they every single time that they have talked about this story, it was an AP story. The AP has been very dogged about it. The Washington Post has been fantastic about it. The yep. LA Times actually bought my work, which is unheard of <laughs> <laughs> these days, as you were talking about yep. photojournalists you know, quitting. I actually, my plan was to actually leave photojournalism after Charlottesville as really? well, um, because financially it was not working. I mean, it's still not working, but um, Charlottesville changed. I, I felt like I, it actually made a difference. You know, you work, you cover the campaign, and mm-hmm. you do everything for, you know, two full years nonstop, and still we have this guy in the White House and yeah. everything else, and you get a little, you know, you lose a little bit of, uh, you know, that journalistic heart that you have to have to kind of keep going. Um, but, uh, yeah. Well, uh, keep going as long as you can, Zach. Uh, obviously, it has helped to uh, bring at least one bad guy to justice here. Maybe there will be a few more uh, uh, to follow as these trials continue. Uh, for these other alleged perpetrators who are caught in your photos, Zach Roberts, uh, beating the holy hell out of uh, 20-year-old DeAndre Harris uh, last August in Charlottesville. Uh, Always great to talk to you, my friend. Really appreciate your work on this. Uh, You can uh, find uh, Zach's work, of course, at his own website, zdroberts.com. You can and should follow him on the Twitters at zdroberts. Uh, also, a lot of these photos are also available, as uh, Zach says, at nationofchange.org. You should also get Greg Palace documentary, which Zach co-produced, called Best Democracy Money Can Buy. You can get that at Amazon. Anything else I may? Oh, you now host your own podcast uh, at... Uh, yes, uh, you go to yeah. visu.news, visu.news. Uh, it's a visual... Visual-based news site, and we, of course, have a podcast because it's mandatory. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, indeed it is. Uh, Thank you, sir, for all your work and for sticking at it. Uh, Zach Roberts, great talking to you, my friend. Thanks thanks so much. Good talking to you, too. All right. uh, Let's uh, let's take a quick break here, and we will come back with, uh, oh, do we have to? Yeah, we have to. Back to the White House, back to Donald Trump, back to his legal woes. That's straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Lord, here comes the flood. We'll say goodbye to flesh and blood. No, not not that kind of flood. Oh, good. Don't worry. I know. Sounds kind of dreary and sad. And and it might turn out to be dreary and sad, but it's not that kind of flood. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. All right. In other crime and accountability news today, President Donald Trump's team of lawyers all currently lack the security clearance necessary 
to discuss sensitive issues related to a potential presidential interview with special counsel Robert Mueller, according to Bloomberg News Today. According to two people familiar with the situation who spoke with Bloomberg, Trump's former lawyer, John Dowd, who resigned over disputes with the rest of the legal team about whether Trump should sit for an interview with Mueller. Dodd was the only lawyer on the team who had security clearance. Not that Donald Trump gives much of a damn about actual things, you know, like security clearances and so forth. He's had uh, one top official after another on inside the White House, unable to get security clearances and allowed them to continue working for months until he was caught. Although Jared Kushner, I still don't think, has an actual security clearance at this point. Well, you know, but, but Hillary's emails, you know. That's right. Very dangerous. Lock her up. Um, Jay Sekulow, who replaced uh, John Dowd as the head of Trump's legal team, is still waiting for his security clearance to be approved. Don't know what the delay is there. Uh, Ty Cobb, the White House lawyer who processes requests from Mueller's team, has a security clearance, but his role dictates that he represents the office of the presidency, not Donald Trump himself. Cobb has not been involved in discussions with Mueller about a potential presidential interview, according to Bloomberg. If Trump agrees to an interview, that's a big if, and I can't imagine he possibly would. Uh, But if he does, his lawyers would need a security clearance in order to discuss some of the questions that Mueller plans to ask Donald Trump, namely about a meeting that Trump had with Russian officials the day after he fired uh, his former FBI director, James Comey. The Washington Post reported on Tuesday night that Mueller suggested in a March 5 meeting that he could subpoena Trump in order to appear before a grand jury if Trump refuses an interview. Before Dowd resigned, Mueller's prosecutors reportedly made it clear to Trump's lawyers that Mueller would consider a presidential subpoena if Trump refused to participate in the interview. That from Dowd himself, uh, according to Bloomberg today. But in very related news today, we learn that the one attorney who still does have security clearance, Ty Cobb, is now leaving himself. But despite the difficulty that Trump has had finding attorneys willing to represent him at all, it looks like he's already got a replacement for Ty Cobb. The New York Times reports today, and this is where our music comes in, Desi Doyen, President Trump has hired Emmett T. Flood, the veteran Washington lawyer who represented Bill Clinton during his impeachment, He will replace Ty Cobb, the uh, White House lawyer who had taken the lead in dealing with the special counsel investigation on behalf of the office. Cobb has decided to retire, according to the White House on Wednesday. Well, Mm. it's an odd time for him to suddenly retire. Right in the middle of one of the most important historic investigations right in in U.S. history. It's a hell of a time. I'm 67 years old. I'm going to retire today. Uh, That's what Cobb uh, apparently said he informed the president some weeks ago that he wanted to retire. He said he planned to stay at the White House likely through the end of the month in order to help Flood transition into the new job. That is, of course, if Flood has actually agreed to come on board. Trump has a way of announcing new hires before they've actually, you know, been interviewed or vetted or got security clearance for the job and so forth. 
So we will see. Yeah, it's also kind of strange that, you know, if you're not in impeachment proceedings, why would you hire an impeachment lawyer? Well, yeah. you know, just just in just case. He's really it's nice good. to have him around. <laughs> Uh, Flood is expected to take a more adversarial approach, the Times reports, to the uh, to the Mueller investigation, more so than Cobb did. Cobb had pushed Trump to strike a cooperative tone with Mueller. Flood initially spoke with the White House last summer about working for the president, but the talks ultimately fell apart because Flood did not want to deal with Trump's longtime New York lawyer, Mark Kasowitz, who was at the time overseeing the president's dealings with the special counsel before uh, he was replaced by John Dowd, before John Dowd then was replaced by Jay Sekulow. It was not clear why Flood uh, decided to sign on at this time. And again, this is assuming that Flood actually has decided to sign on, and it wasn't just an announcement from the White House before they had asked Flood. Flood was part of a team of lawyers who represented Bill Clinton during his impeachment proceedings, but he was also the lead lawyer in the White House Counsel's Office during George W. Bush's second term, where he uh, dealt with congressional investigations, including the examination of the Bush administration's decision to dismiss seven United U.S. attorneys. Remember that? Oh, yes. Remember what a scandal that was? In the meantime, this president fired all the U.S. attorneys at the same time on a single day, including some that he had previously said he was going to keep on board. Uh, in private practice, uh, this this is perhaps the most troubling sign. In private pr- uh, practice, Flood also represented former Vice President Dick Cheney. Hmm. So this guy is hardball, I'm guessing. Uh, and, well, uh, Flood is uh, well regarded in the conservative legal world. He has connections with key players that could make him more effective uh, than his predecessors on the legal team, the Times reports, including a good relationship with Don McGahn, the White House counsel, until he quits. Cobb had arrived at the White House last summer as some of Trump's friends and advisors encouraged the president to fire Mueller. But Cobb feared that the special counsel was on the verge of issuing subpoenas, demanding documents and testimony from White House aides, a move that could have locked the administration into a contentious court fight that it was certain to lose. Instead, Cobb repeatedly declared the White House to be in, quote, full cooperation mode. He said publicly that the White House had no intention, no interest in firing Mueller and told friends privately that he would not remain in the administration if Trump moved to fire the special counsel. Hmm. So uh, could that be why uh, Cobb is now on his way out? Uh, He said uh, at, at the time, this was back in October, he says, quote, there is not and will not be any consideration of terminating the special counsel, Bob Mueller. That's what Cobb, who is now reportedly quitting, had to say. Uh, and keep in mind in um, in recent days that Donald Trump has been saying uh, over and over again, I've been staying out of the Department of Justice, but there will come a time when I won't. Yes. He keeps threatening. I think he did that again today on Twitter. Uh, so the bulwark against that, Ty Cobb, is now uh, gone, gone. Yeah, supposedly, and uh, Dick Cheney's attorney is in. So I have a sneaking suspicion that this is only going to get uglier and scarier. 
much. All right, we got to get out here. Uh, oh, let me do this one more thing uh, before we go. Uh, I got a message for you, Desi Doyen. Oh, great! From a listener. Uh, this was after one of our uh, one of our one of your latest Green News reports. Okay. Uh, Matt F sent in a donation and uh, oh. at bradblog.com/slash/donate. Thank you, Matt. And uh, added a note. He said, uh, "This donation is in honor of the new hole I had to punch in my belt." Oh. <laughs> Okay. On the Doyen diet, I've lost a noticeable amount of weight. The Doyen diet? Oh, dear. Whenever I hear the latest echo crimes reported on the Green News Report, I can't eat. Oh. Desi now gets that money. <laughs> oh, okay. I I guess. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Be careful, Matt. And See? thanks. Uh, yes, thank you very much, Matt. Don't worry, I lose my appetite all the time when I'm around Desi Doyen <laughs> for some reason. I don't know. Well, you know, we do our best to cover what we can, but we also try to cover some good news in there. So, so Matt, I hope to give you some good news. No, here. don't don't try to don't try to get out of this. <laughs> uh, poor Matt is skinny. He has to buy a new belt, new pants. <laughs> All thanks to you, Desi Doyen. Uh, but thanks to all of you uh, for uh, listening to our show today and supporting those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. We could not. We cannot do it without you. We cannot do it without your help. Uh, so uh, in particular, thanks to those of you uh, who stop by and sign up for an automated monthly donation of any amount you like at bradblog.com slash donate. All right. Uh, thanks to our uh, food starving producer, Desi Doyen. Oh, to man. my guest today, Zach Roberts of zdroberts.com. And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site, where I hope you'll also leave a good comment. Makes it a little bit easier for everyone else to find us as well. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. Okay, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Yeah.